welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. As often as I can, I speak to expert educators about issues that matter in education. My name is Wendy Amato. I'm the Chief Academic Officer for Teaching Channel, and my guest today is Carrie Weber. Carrie brings over 20 years of teaching experience, including traditional classroom time, but today she's my guest to talk about experiential learning, real-world learning. Carrie, welcome. Hi, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Let's jump in with an understanding of what experiential learning is in the sciences. That is a great question and often misunderstood. It is essentially learning by doing. So the important thing is you never want to tell students what they are supposed to know. You want to help students discover those things on their own. Um, and so in creating experiences for students, you don't have to create a, a prescribed lab, something you can order on the internet that has instructions and, and lab equipment. Um, you want them to discover it in simple things that they can find around them. You don't wanna tell students, we are gonna prove this is true. That is, that is not how science works. You want them to discover it and then learn that everyone has discovered that and therefore we can assume that it will act that way. Carrie, you've got a secondary science master's in teaching. Let's talk about some of the things that you've been discovering because your work has transitioned from classroom teaching to now being a leader for science programs with field components. It's not just field component, your science programs that are exclusively field experiences. Correct, and really, Field experiences, not just in we're going to go um, to this particular watershed and, and see what is happening, you know, with, you know, the marine life and, and the birds and all the things that are there, but also how is the weather today different from it was yesterday? It, it's just everywhere you go, you're observing. And I think that that is something that is not considered enough. How do students learn by doing? They have to just observe. So we want students to be curious all the time. Right. So that is the number one outcome for me is curiosity, which drives inquiry, in my opinion. Tell me more about inquiry. What does it mean? Is it, is it the three-year-old who's like, why, why, why? <laughs> it is, but the three-year-old hopefully with some scaffolding Hopefully we're teaching students how to um, draw inferences from inquiry and how to support their ideas with evidence. It's the same concept that I hope is being taught when we talk to students about how to gather information, how to properly assess the sources you're using, uh, using multiple kinds of sources, right, especially in 2022 digital literacy, but the, the same concepts ring true when thinking about science. You know, how do I know that? Um, what, you know, multiple sources of information, so multiple observations. You can't observe something once and say, well, that must always be true. So really paying attention constantly. Um, and so I think inquiry, um, you know, what happens when? Does that always happen? What examples can you share that connect to that, right? What have you seen? And then how can you learn more about it? 
let's talk about some of the explorations that you facilitate in design. Where, where are you inviting students to, to test the world or challenge their thoughts or to be curious? It can be as simple as if you ask them to test the world and be curious, take a video of Right. And so in that way, you're not asking them to have any equipment. There's no equipment needed besides what they already have. And so if they take a video, they can then analyze that video. They can take multiple videos, you know, multiple different scenarios. And then that is the evidence. Right. So what they're seeing on the video, a simple one is um, let's say you're in a taxi cab in New York City. Um, and they take a sharp right turn. No one wears seatbelts in taxi cabs, and the seats are really like shiny vinyl. <laughs> and so you slide across the taxi cab, and it's counterintuitive to what most people think is going to happen, but that's evidence that happened to them. So these ideas that students don't really understand, um, they can create their own evidence. There's something nice about setting things up with a little mystery to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and then you're also allowing students and make everyone give a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Like every single student should share what they think. And then they can discuss among themselves. Oh, well, I didn't think about that. And, and they can say which ones are right and wrong. That, that's the thing about inquiry is the teacher should never be the giver of information. They can support you finding the information and then help guide you to, you know, which piece of this is more accurate. You know, you don't want to be the person with the right answers. They should figure out after the first couple months of class that they have to figure out the answers. And it's funny, they get frustrated at first. Why aren't you just going to tell me what to do? <laughs> <laughs> I was just picturing students uh, maybe at dinner time or riding home saying, this teacher is so difficult. They never just tell me. And, and I'm wondering how often parents or caregivers respond by saying, oh, good. Yeah. You should figure it out. I think it's out. a shift. Yeah. I think we're moving in that direction. So hopefully all their teachers will expect that of them and it'll be commonplace. I hope as people become more experiential and, and promote more inquiry, I hope that teachers will think about communicating with home and saying, this is what I'm doing and this is why. I, I, I want your student to understand how to ask good questions and find answers. I don't want a student who is mimicking and memorizing. Let's think together as adults in what our shared outcomes are, what our shared intentions are, and dig into the uncertainty, then even the frustration that can come home uh, on those students' shoulders. Carrie, thinking long-term, how might students begin to see science in the real world? So that is a loaded question for a science teacher. Because <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> because it's everywhere. You can't ignore it. Um, I actually was traveling this weekend in DC with a group of students and it was a history-based program, right? Learning about the US government. And we were coming up a hill and the wind came over the hill and the temperature dropped and everyone was beside themselves. And I just said, science, science is happening. And everyone laughed, but it's true. 
um, you can't, right? It comes back to observations, just seeing science in everything that you experience. Um, you know, whether it be the leaves are slippery because it rained um, or, you know, the, how wind chill works or weather systems, things also as prescribed as putting ice cubes on a hot plate and heating it and watching the phase change, students get really excited about that. And they're hopefully recognizing something as simple as steam coming off of a hot beverage is science. That's why you can't ask a science teacher that question. Everything I see is science. <laughs> so the task is getting students to see that. And I think being so excited about science everywhere you go and sort of having that moniker of like, oh, my science teacher is such a nerd. They see science in everything. Well, then the student is going to come into class and say, oh my gosh, this happened. And I thought of science. And so hopefully you're you're passing that along just by modeling good observations. <laughs> we, we do get to model for our students and they look to us to understand how to interact in the world and how to interact with one another, how to ask questions, how to engage in discussion. And uh, I, I like hearing the way you describe blurring content area specifics with just living. Mm -hmm. And I think you can't in 2022 ignore news, right? Um, the 24-hour news cycle, and there is a lot of news about science, really in any topic, whether it be innovation or space or climate change. And so um, in terms of making it real world for them, it's not just what do they see on the stovetop, but, and, and what does, you know, water vapor mean in general for our planet and reflecting off the clouds and all these things but um, connecting it to something that is going to matter for them, whether that be, you know, maybe they're going to be an astronaut, right? How does space exploration um, matter to them? And so doing, I used to do current events in the classroom too, um, and really connecting that, you know, the whole idea if it matters to them, best thing would be to do some kind of local news as well. So not only matters to them, but matters to their community. The closer you can get it to home, the better it's going to be. Carrie, let's think about new science teachers. If you could give advice to new science teachers, what advice would you offer? You know, it's the same thing we talked about at the very beginning, stress curiosity mm. over anything else. And so that leads to so many things that leads to the way you structure a class period the way you assess a student and the kinds of activities or experiences that you're designing for them. So anything hands-on is better. And then that piece I dug into a little bit earlier, ask students what they think. Don't tell your students what the right answer is. You can tell them in like a week, but you cannot tell them when you're introducing an idea, let them discover it. Ask them what they observe that supports what their idea is. And then they're gonna question, oh, well, I don't have any supports for that. Maybe I need to think about my observations and come up with a different idea. And, and just don't sweat the small stuff. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
but it does take a big mindset shift to the teacher is not just a giver of information, but sort of a designer of experiences so that the students can discover on their own. I'm thinking now about I'm getting all the way up to the higher grades where students tend to be shy about asking questions because there's that pressure. You don't want to look like you don't know, mm -hmm. but I, I would like for teachers to respond to questions saying good question or smart mm -hmm. question, or I'm glad you're curious about that, or your mind is putting together a lot of things to come up with that question. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really a positive thing to extend a learning moment with a good question. Agreed. And I think my advice for new teachers would be to come up with some strategy to create that environment in your classroom. I had, I've done popsicle sticks, I've done index cards, you make it a game mm -hmm. where students know everyone is expected to answer a question and then you make it a goal to get through every popsicle stick in the class. So everyone talks and then it, it just becomes an expectation and also not a big deal. So those students who are more reticent and, and students can pass, right? It, you know, you have to think about every student, but um, some kind of system where everyone is encouraged and is then becomes comfortable participating because it doesn't work. We, we all know that it doesn't work if one student answers every question or one group. It's rewarding as a teacher and rewarding as a teacher supervisor working with newer teachers to, to see a, a student blossom when they're invited to contribute. Mm -hmm. you, you don't know the great ideas that they have until they share them. And, right. and so it's exciting to, to say, wow. Or I'm the great questions that. they're gonna ask or, or the, the contributions they're gonna make. I'm always surprised. Often the students who are reticent have the most amazing things to say. Mm -hmm. And the students who don't answer first, mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit of think time elevates the thinking. <laughs> Our school system rewards fast more often than it rewards uh, depth of thinking. And right. some, some think time reward might be nice. Or even have everyone write their answer down on a piece of paper and then just pull papers out of the hat. Oh yeah, we all learned that in COVID with a screen, Zoom screens full with the students flipping their dry erase boards up. <laughs> really, right. it was a great tool to yeah. increase student engagement and participation for teachers that hadn't been using that kind of like shared answer all reveal at the same time in the classroom. A lot of them brought that strategy back to the classroom afterwards. We can, right. we can do the same. It doesn't have to be an answer on the board. It could be a question. Right. Come up with a good question. We'll all flip them at the same time and, and see where our curiosity curiosity takes us as a group. Mm -hmm. That's neat. Other advice for new teachers? Assess less. You don't have time to grade everything. Um, so make a lot of assessments that you, that are ungraded and simpler. That's one thing when we talk about lessons learned in, when we studied education that don't fit the mold. I think assessment models are very hard um, grading is very hard. It's a very challenging, stressful topic. Maybe that particular piece of, uh, of advice is especially well paired with encouraging curiosity and experimentation, uh, exploration. If you're on a pathway that's not prescribed, then you may not be able to have an assessment uh, that it's going to align. You can't make that assessment before the curiosity takes you down a path. Right. 
if you if you really are open to wherever the curiosity takes the group, then you may not be prepared to have a formal assessment at the other end. Correct. And also be prepared to how to handle it when it goes off the rails. <laughs> you don't want to say you're being too curious. We have to focus. So be prepared for that as well. You know, a question jar, like put that in the question jar and then make time Fridays or question days, you know, or something or half a Friday, something like that. When students work efficiently, uh, I think that the reward is not, oh, great, you've got some time to hang out and talk to your neighbor. I think the reward is fantastic. Now we can get to some of the tough questions that we've been banking in the curiosity jar and pull those out and, and let it be a reward. Uh, right? Reward good work with more good work. Yes. Yes. I like that. That's a big deal. If we're thinking about real world learning, and being outside of traditional classroom parameters, things could begin to look chaotic. I know some teachers are concerned about what can look like chaos in the classroom. Do you have thoughts about that? I do. I personally am a bit of a neat freak, a bit of a control freak. <laughs> and so it is very challenging for me to be a science teacher because I cringe a lot. Um, because someone has cleaned up, but not necessarily in the way I would have cleaned up, for example, but it's okay. You, you have to let it go and you have to think about who thinks it's messy because if it's you, it's no big deal. Cause then you deal with it. You make it the way you want. If it's someone else, uh, in your school who works on the same hallway, um, if it's an administrator, maybe ask them, why do you feel this is messy? What, what is bothering you about this space? And then I can just tell you from my own experience, you just have to allot double the time for cleanup and, <laughs> and you just have to talk about assessments. That's part of the assessment, like checks in my book before you leave the classroom. Is your space the way you found it? You just make it work to sort of get back to the question about the person who's concerned about the noise or the mess, you can just hopefully be able to explain to them what the students are gaining from that experience. Um, the noise is important because how can they tell me how fast the car is going if the car is not going down the hall 20 times? Hopefully you're sharing and modeling to other teachers and administrators the value of learning by doing for those students and that that is messy. So it is chaotic is the answer to that question. I think I just like that you called yourself out on that, on that <laughs> question. <laughs> it can be hard, but you have to get past it. Again, if we go back to the very beginning, if the student outcome is tremendous, well, then you don't not do it because it's chaotic. Yeah, just that should always be the, that's the filter question. Mm -hmm. is this getting me towards the intended outcome yes it is mm -hmm. i'll keep doing it yeah carrie i have to say thank you for joining me in this podcast if there's a takeaway it's uh we want everyone asking what do you notice correct 100 percent. observe the world around you and uh allow students a space to ask questions and find their own answers whatever that looks like
Thank you for sharing your knowledge and to educators everywhere. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you can get a little bit more experiential in your instruction, whether it's the sciences or other fields. Please follow us on teachingchannel.com slash podcast. You can find notes below about the things that Carrie and I discussed today. And if you would follow on whatever podcast listening app you're using, I sure would appreciate it. And it will help other educators to find us. Thank you very much. Thank you.